Hi. Anchor is a great platform and app for making your own podcast. Been bored lately? Have a little extra time on your hands? Want to teach your kids something new? Try Anchor to create your own podcast where you can share your opinions, viewpoints, recipes, and other instructions with people from around the world on an easy-to-use phone app. Try Anchor today. I think you'll have a really good time. This is a deviation from my usual podcast. I decided that I wanted to take a break and think a little bit about my creativity in general and the things that are most important to me right now considering what's going on in the world. And uh, I'm sorry, my voice is rough. It's been a long day. I've had three days of migraine headaches triggered by anything from caffeine at the wrong time or not enough protein or them spraying mosquitoes outside in the air, but um, it's debilitating and it makes it hard for me to do the things I want to do. And as I look forward to getting a job, I keep thinking, how am I going to do this if I keep getting these migraines? keep having these blood sugar drops and I have to get a job but I have to see a doctor so that I can stop the behaviors that can help me keep a job long enough to see the doctor so I'm kind of in a conundrum there and I'm trying to do triage with what I have in the house between antidepressants and some metformin from back when I was still taking that and wondering I could cobble together some semblance of self-maintenance so that I can get a new job. But anyways, I read a lot. I read all the time. I read scientific studies. I read news. I read federal regulations. I read about grants. I read about jobs, of course. I read about people's lives, and I knit together a lot of different responses to those things, but the thing that stands the most is that I really feel like I've got a book in me, and I have actually several books in me, and I have the manuscripts of three which I've never published because they didn't meet my standard um, in the sense that I read them, and while it was cathartic for me to have written those stories and those books, the readers outside of myself would not understand what they really meant or the depth of them. And that's a fault of me as a writer to be unable to fully manifest my vision because I already know the content as deeply as my my own self. And, and that's the general problem with fan fiction is, is that we're trying to share our fiction of characters and the fan base has the knowledge and lore of the character and they have that background but when we try to put it out into a mainstream setting or we try to get it published that universality that we had within our fan base does not exist so we get things like the Warcraft movie or the Avatar movie where they're struggling to develop a a backstory in a short period of time um, for people who really aren't on board with the fan base 
and you know it it has its drawbacks and that's really why the everyman character is so essential in movie making and um, especially when you're dealing with fantasy franchises, is this every man kind of experiences the fantasy universe and grounds himself within it, and thus the people watching the movie who aren't directly connected with the content can actually sort of be there with every man or every woman or every person. Sorry. <laughs> oh, I would forget to do that. But anyways, every person and ride along with them as kind of their little vehicle for the event. Um, anyways, so, I almost feel like the time of the fiction book is gone because my whole life has this element of fiction and when I tell people about all the places that I've been and the things that I've seen in real life, they often look to me as if these things are fiction, but uh, they're not and I want them to understand there's a whole world out there that people just never thought to experience because they just didn't have the people around them that I did or that they didn't take agency in their life that I did. But at the same time, when I look back at my life, I look at periods like this, you know, the, the downtime periods, and I find it's a time of complete failure for me. I mean, though I'm recharging my batteries technically after, you know what, five, six cycles of the same events happening over and over again, um, that, you know, what I want is consistent rise, I don't want to constantly be cycling, except for the exception this time, this is, that is actually, well, 2009, it was the economy that crashed, and that caused a lot of problems for me, and then, of course, now we've got this virus thing, so that caused a lot of problems, um, September 11th didn't outright cause any problems because I was already in kind of a flex time when that happened, but, you know, Y2K, year 2000, major transition time for the universe, so all these little, they are kind of sort of uh, epic points in natural and human history where things have changed and happened, and, you know, I just happened to get tossed around in the ocean along with everyone else who didn't have a solid place to stand um but you know here we are so while waxing poetic on um my last position which I was eliminated from because COVID-19 made it impossible for me to do my job and people were not understanding how upset and alone I was out here so they didn't really respond I don't know again I know what they were right. I mean, they were right for letting me go. We all know that. But at the same time, I mean, they could have been a little more creative about keeping me on or giving me like an office job or just letting me take over for the employee that I was planning on job shadowing for a year. Give her a break because her family and she had a major problem going on. Like she had, you know, life-threatening illnesses and accidents. And... <sighs> Anyways, but... The major thing is I was working for a conservation organization, if you look at any of my social media, and I was helping to get accustomed to, you know, working with the 144,000 acre preserve, and all the animals, and all the volunteers, and all the guests, and, you know, it, it, it's, it was a magical place from the first time I stepped foot on there last, I believe it was uh, November. 
even in the winter, it was a tremendously magical place. And, and as I go out every week and, and just check on everything, it changes and ebbs and flows, and every week has some new spectacular little surprise for me um, to marvel at. And, you know, been taking my photographs and just documenting these changes that come across these wild lands. You know, and just so much splendor and beauty. And then to feel like I've been separated from that. I mean, naturally, you know, I they didn't let me go on bad terms or, you know, so I'm allowed to go there and enjoy it. And I'm not like banned or anything. So I go there pretty frequently because it is such a magical place. But this thing is that the people that work for the organization that I work for. They have a central unit in one of the big cities near me, and they have a central central unit in the big state capital city. So, um, and I wouldn't say that they are city people, but they feel like city people sometimes when I talk with them. And, you know, I've had my times where I've been a city person, of course, but naturally I wasn't born that way. I was born not just rural, but I was literally born living in the wilds, um, like a wild animal, like in a shack in the mountains with nothing for no TV, no radio, no windows. Sometimes we didn't have a floor, you know, we didn't have running water at times. So, I mean, this was, this was my life. Um, and so me coming to, uh, my point of growth as a professional through the trio programs kind of brought me into these double worlds where, you know, where we start talking about things like imposter syndrome. But the problem is, is here's down to earth me working with the salt of the earth people who are also down to the earth. And we have all these city folks making decisions. Um, and you know, and however they got their positions and I'm, I'm finding out all these interesting little tidbits, you know, number one tidbit was I'd say 50% of the staff is going to be retiring in the next 10 to 15 years. Um, if they can, but most likely they're going to have to retire because they're physically unable to do their jobs anymore. So, they have that happening for them then they've got the new staff in and the the new staff um are are wonderfully trained and and excited but they're naive they they don't have any hands-on experience teaching science to people they don't have education backgrounds they have public relation backgrounds they're thinking about appearances and they don't have a solid demographic behind them that they're searching for because in my position the 200 people that I was working with and was almost knowing all of them at that point, they are of a certain demographic, but they're not targeting them. They're thinking they're going to be getting younger people more excited about conservation, but who has the money? People who are retired. Who has the time? People who are retired. Who has the sudden urge to care about the earth? people who are retired so they have this fantastic base and what the people who are retired want they want to see beautiful animals they want to see beautiful plants they want recreation they want education um you know they want to feel worldly they want to feel like they're making an impact for the future because they have you know what 20 30 years left of their lives technically so they're looking to make this tremendous impact so there's this wonderful demographic of people. Um, so as I'm watching and listening, I hear all these 
repeated narratives that I heard from my younger years as a naturalist. You know, I was 20 years old. I was riding the, the, um, let's say the, I don't know, third, second or third wave of environmentalism, you know, um, from the seventies and then previously from the, the early, uh, the late thirties. Um, of course, cause I wrote a thesis on the soul stuff. So anyways, <laughs> anyways, but anyways, so here I am, you know, back in the nineties, I was writing on the wave of the new environmental education programs, which California made mandatory for the entire state. So we had kids, they had to be there for four to five days, um, you know, and come up and learn about how the environment works and how we can, you know, conserve the environment. And that's really what it was. It was an indoctrination into any kind of like, you know, leftist, uh, you know, idea of environmental education. It was systems based. And that's really where the core was, is that we had these wonderful inner city kids, but they didn't understand natural systems. So we taught them about natural systems. And in the process of teaching natural systems, you're teaching people why climate change is important and why it's important that we conserve lands and why it's important that we watch over aquifers and why it's important that we have this massive prairie, which is this enormous sponge that holds together not only just water, but nutrients and carbon and all these wonderful things. So as I'm talking to these adults, you know, everybody has their specialty and that's that's the most important part here. Everybody knows their specialty, but then someone says to me, okay, everybody, you know, our job is to save the earth. That's when it kind of snapped in my head though, you know, 1990s naturalist me, and then over the years watching um, how the uh, rural populations were either ignored or, um, or felt that they had to ignore environmental policy because it was a political issue, not so much in their own best interest. So, so here I am thinking, oh yes, we have to stay there. And then I thought a little bit about one of my uh, favorite uh, Danish, Swedish uh, comic artists who had done a little comic about, you know, the earth and, you know, humans apologizing to her kind of as a goddess and the goddess saying, oh, you know, at the end, silly humans, you don't realize I'm going to still be here, but you will not and it reminded me that the whole save the earth thing and that naivete from you know the 90s and the t-shirts and the earth day and all that business like that it it was not saving the earth we're not saving the earth we're saving humans basically every action that we do from this point on and what we should have been doing in the 90s was progressive actions to save and stabilize the environment which resuscitates human and mammal and you know most animal and you know insect and you know organism on this planet because this temperature and this particular equilibrium of the environment is what keeps us alive and then when we throw that environment out of balance and it's the perfect balance for us to live it's not like there's any magical balance that's perfect it's a human you know sustainable balance that you know the earth adjusts and compensates and the environment changes and the composition of life on this planet changes. So that's just my thought right now is that it's not so much with all the chaos going on that we need to save the earth because there's nothing really hurting the earth itself. The earth is a closed system. It's a mathematically predictable system of chaos and order that constantly recycles 
and refreshes and remakes itself that is just how the earth is it's a circle it's a cycle and you know very little matter from the earth goes out into space and comes in from space so we're not we're talking about a closed system so the thing is as we watch civil unrest right now as we watched a disease ravage through the population of the planet and taking out some of the weakest and sickest of the humanity we're looking at what happens when an environment becomes imbalanced and over the years i've studied many different papers but when a species or uh, conditions create a imbalance in this perfectly balanced system the system compensates it's it's mathematically amazing if you think about it i mean for all the people who like intelligent design the earth works better than any machine it's a perpetual you know perpetual machine that keeps going and going and going and no matter what you throw at it it's going to keep going and life may change and forms may change and as we you know can look at the fossil world we know that that once was is now not because of changes in this closed system so um what i'd like to write about is the fact that the modern environmental movement but the environmental political socio-economical movements is not to save the earth or to save the x element of human culture it's to save the humans because you know 20 years ago we had a chance and a lot of short-sighted people decided that they'd rather hold on to a political agenda instead of even they would have profited immensely from developing sustainable systems that would have balanced out this human friendly you know uh, equilibrium here on the planet but here we are 20 years later i'm not 19 anymore and the people that i you know i worked with in college they're all pretty much in upper management they're they're doing a lot better than i am for sure but they're in powerful positions and i've got a couple of family members you know my age who are literally you know no famous political people and no famous leaders um and they they work with them and i only have a few family members like this but the thing is is that everybody is lost all this fine minutia because the basic understanding of science and intelligent design if you like to call it that is that this system works a certain way and there's no way we can change that at this point with our technology we have to use our technology within the system to balance out the system so it can maintain human life and save the humans um so yeah and the virus is because there's too many humans and the angry and the fighting and the political dissent and all of that is because there are too many living creatures in a certain space taking up all that space and it's almost like the resources themselves create the elements the stress the anger the frustration within the biological human organism that causes it to get agitated and you know you'll see studies on this one definitely you know people too many people not enough resources psychologically physically mentally uh deprived of these resources will react 
you know, at their base is the right to the reptile brain, you know, and, and, you know, that's, that's really just the explanation. The earth will abide, but we need to save the humans. Um, and every little thing that human culture is picking at is because there's an overpopulation and, um, and because there's an overpopulation, there's more of everything there wasn't in the past. And now we have to deal with the fact that all of that more of everything there really wasn't done in the past is connected on the internet and gets all together to do whatever it wants to do um, to find identity and meaning in this world. So that's good. That's evil. That's the gray areas. But they, the struggle is because the basic lack of resources is driving people to try to seek out to fulfill those needs in ways that are directly related to the base problem which is the fact that the earth is imbalanced for human life and that we need to rebalance it um, so that's my idea I know there's a lot of smarter people out there and definitely a lot of times I feel like if I had money if I just had the money thing under control that I could do what Oprah has done or do what all these wonderful writers have done if I just didn't have this depression or this sickness in my body that keeps me guessing if I'm going to be able to wake up in the morning and have a good day or wake up in the morning and have a good four hours or wake up in the morning and get in my car and drive halfway somewhere I need to go and then get so sick that I can't drive and start throwing up and have to fall asleep beside the road. And it's it's all about this biochemical imbalance and I'm experiencing um, hypoglycemia, pre-diabetes, whatever you call it, um, migraines, um, the surgery I had, it... I, I just want to sit down with someone like Dr. House and like make a list and say, hey, make a big diagnosis, you know, this isn't this because I don't have any money. No one cares about my health. And if I do see a doctor, it's clinic care and they only will see me for a short time. And there's no, there's no medical history. There's no tests. Um, but while I struggle with these bad days after bad days after bad days, this, this knowledge and all of its backed up with sources is just sitting in my head, rattling around, rattling at the bars, trying to say, hey, 45 years environmental education, 45 years working with the poorest, most desperate people in the world, 45 years studying psychology, sociology, economics, medicine, 45 years doing and learning everything about certain careers to the point where I have a mastery of a really wide range of different things. Um, and then I have to deal with the sickness blocking me, freezing me. And I, I just want to be free and not in like the suicidal way. I only can imagine that someday there'll be a day where all of this suffering, this interference that I experience is going to be lifted and I will rise up 
and I will say what I need to say to the world. Save the humans. That's what I want to say. Save the humans because the earth abides. And whether I'm one of the last that manages to survive climate change or somehow we create some sort of great progression out of this mess that we're in right now and and something rises something good and true and honest and ethical and honorable rises up and brings the best of all humanity purifies us with focus and and purpose before it's too late I don't know what's going to happen, but I I pray that something or someone is going to take this whole chaos and we're going to ascend to the next level of human evolution. We are going to rise up and become all of our science fiction and religious righteous dreams. Um, Sorry for the pause from the fantasy, but sometimes the reality that I'm seeking feels like a fantasy. Mm-hmm.